Well, good morning. I'd like to begin by reading a psalm that is not the text for our sermon this morning. It's a psalm that has encouraged Christians and God's people throughout the ages. And it has encouraged us in recent days, so I'll read it again. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in, in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. And then the last line of this psalm is, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Have you ever had to take refuge somewhere? It's a humbling experience, isn't it? My nephews are five, twin five-year-olds. A good way to describe them is intense. One might say they're all boy, but boys get tired. I've never seen these ones get tired. Uh, but they're learning a lot right now. I, every time uh, they're over, I hear their mom asking them, what do we do if this happens? A lot of it has to do with like manners and uh, things like that. But the other day we were having a conversation for some reason about dogs. Uh, and I asked them, what would you do if you saw a bad dog? Or maybe if you saw a mean dog? And I expected these boys, these twin five-year-olds, who are extremely tough and rowdy. I wouldn't say rowdy. They're, they're, they're tough. I'd, I would have expected them to come up with all of the weapons and techniques and moves that they would use to fight this mean dog. But do you know what one of them said? I would hide under my bed. And I thought, that's exactly what you should do. If you come across a mean dog, hide under that bed. If you can't do anything else, you can hide from that dog. You ever have to take refuge? The proud don't like taking refuge. But sometimes we have to be humble enough to take refuge. The, the time I remember taking refuge most vividly was in August of 2005, when many of us had to take refuge. Uh, when Hurricane Katrina came. I had just moved to Kenner, Louisiana, which is right outside of New Orleans. My wife and I had lived there for a few weeks in our apartment on Joe Yenny Boulevard, right up there on the levee by Pontchartrain. Now, that's a really big lake, Pontchartrain, and it's a very small levee when you think about it in comparison to the lake. Uh, so Hurricane Katrina started coming, and we, thank the Lord, were humble enough to take refuge 
we, we got out of town, and we, we even got out of town early and beat the traffic for the most part. That was a blessing. Uh, but there come times when you know you're up against something that you cannot beat. People say fortune favors the bold, and maybe it does. But God favors the humble, those who take refuge in him. God favors the meek. Now, as we'll see, there certainly is a place for boldness in a heart of humble faith. But without a heart of humble faith, you cannot come to Christ. The good news of Jesus' birth is not good news to the proud. Jesus is a stumbling block to the proud. But it is very good news to the humble. We're going to read in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26 this morning. Luke chapter 1, starting in 26. In this passage, the good news that Mary was going to bear a son named Jesus caused Mary to react with humility. And we're going to observe her humility as we read. So as we, as we read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56, Notice with me all the evidence of Mary's humility, both her humble circumstances and her humble response to the news that she will bear the Messiah. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary, verse 34, said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in, in her old age. She has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Did you observe Mary's humility? Not just her humble circumstances, but her humble response to the news that she would bear the Messiah. The first evidence I notice of her humility is the fact that in verse 26, Luke, as he writes to his Gentile audience, has to specify where Nazareth is. Those of you from Learned, you're used to that, aren't you? (laughs) Nazareth was a town in Galilee, in Galilee, well, that was, a, that was a place near Jerusalem. It was not some big metropolis. God didn't send his son to be born in a big city that everybody's heard of. He sent his son to be born in Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Did you also notice her response to the angel in verse 29? Verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, if an angel shows up at your house and greets you like this, says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I don't recommend you responding with pride. Don't say, it's about time. Don't say, uh, yeah, me, favored one. I'm your guy. Mary's response showed her humility. She was greatly troubled. You ever give a little kid a gift? They're like, what's up with that? Why are you giving me this? Mary says, why, why should you greet me like this? She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel had to tell her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Did you notice her humility in verse 38 when she called herself the Lord's servant? Verse 38. She said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now she's signing off on this plan, and that's a big plan to sign off on if you think about it. The angel tells her, You're going to bear a child. She says, Well, I'm I'm betrothed. If she were thinking in her head, the type of logic we might think. She might think, okay, well, when I'm, when I'm married, I'm going to have a baby. Good news. But she knows this is not going to be 
a birth according to the typical order of the world. The angel tells her, despite the fact that you are a virgin, you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think about all the things that Mary would have to go through as a result of this miraculous conception, all the family members and friends that she'd have to look in the eye, It's a lot to sign off on. But she says, let it be to me according to your word. It's a humble response. I'm the servant. You're the master. What you say, that's how it should be. And then we see her humility in the way she praised God. We're going to look at her prayer or her song of praise this passage starting in verse 46 through verse 55, it's often called the Magnificat. And you've heard that word probably. Did you know it came from this passage? Apparently in the Latin, the first word is Magnificat. So when we read this poem, this song, this prayer of Mary, we can look back from 2,000 years later and know that she's correct when she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. But is that not a bold thing to say for Mary from Nazareth, who's got an unexpected conception to explain to her relatives? But she is saying, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And she was correct. And today we call her blessed and we're going to read her song today. And as we do, we're going to answer the question, why is Jesus coming good news for the humble? Why is Jesus coming good news for the humble? And the first answer is, Jesus coming is good news for the humble because the humble recognize their need for God's mercy. Read verse 46 with me. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is, is his name. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You know, Christmas is only good news if you recognize your need for God's mercy. To those who can't see it, to those who depend on the fact that society calls us a decent person, or the fact that we know in our heart we're doing our best. To those who de depend on the fact that we can look around and see others who are doing worse than us. They do not find good news in Christ. The proud find a stumbling block. But to the humble who recognize their need for God's mercy, there's grace, there's mercy because of what Christ has done. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 18 when he told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke 18? Verse 9 says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous. He's talking to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Do you know anyone that trusts in their own righteousness? Do you trust in your own righteousness? This parable is for you. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Do you know what it means to be justified? It means he's right with God. He's credited with righteousness. That man, the tax collector. Now, tax collectors don't occupy the same place in society today that they did then. But you can imagine if we had an occupying army like the Roman army was occupying Palestine at that time. And if the tax collector's job was to collect money on behalf of that occupying army, I bet you wouldn't like the guy. You probably already don't love a tax collector. You probably don't send him a Christmas card. But let me tell you, if we had an occupying army, you're not sending that guy a Christmas card. But who went home justified? The Pharisee who spent all his days practicing obedience to God's law? No. The tax collector, he went home justified. Jesus' coming is not good news to the proud, but to the humble, to those who realize their need for God's mercy. Jesus' coming is great news. There's another reason Jesus coming is especially good news for the humble. And that's that the humble recognize their own weakness. The humble recognize their own weakness. Look at what Mary said in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he has sent away empty. This world conditions us to trust in earthly power. We feel confidence because we have money in the bank. We feel confidence because our guy is in office in the White House. We feel confidence because our country has a powerful army. We feel confidence because we have a stable job. We feel confidence because our family loves us. We place our confidence in so many earthly things. But Mary knew, and we all know, that money today does not mean money tomorrow. That a full belly today does not mean a full belly tomorrow. And that the only, the only place we can securely place our trust is in the Lord. When we realize our own weakness, then we see what good news Jesus' coming is. It's good news for the humble. 
But it's so hard if we don't realize our weakness, if we don't see that we need him, if we think that we have what it takes. My daughter asked me a question this week. She said, when the rich young man asked Jesus what it takes to go to heaven, why did Jesus say, obey the Ten Commandments? That's a good question. That's a question that many of us who are grown up have gotten too ignorant to ask. But a child knows to ask that question. And I said, that's a good one. Great question. You know, that very thing is what Luke recalls. That event with the rich young ruler is what Luke recalls in the same chapter as the Pharisee and the tax collector. There's a bit of a transition, and this transition is important for us. Luke chapter 18, verse 15. So right after the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, when he says the tax collector went home justified, this is what happened. Verse 15, Luke chapter 18. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? The kingdom of heaven belongs to ones like this, the little children. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In the very next verse, the rich young ruler arrives. Not to enter the kingdom of heaven like a child. Make no mistake, he wants to enter the kingdom of heaven. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But he wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven like an adult. He wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven like a businessman. He thought that Jesus might have something to offer him. He thought that Jesus might have eternal life. And he wanted to know if he had enough in his pocket to buy it. Now, he didn't expect to buy it with money, although he had plenty of money. He expected to purchase eternal life the way almost every human who's ever lived expects to purchase eternal life, by doing good deeds. So chapter 18, verse 18 of Luke, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he gives this answer that puzzled my daughter and that could puzzle you. What would you expect Jesus to answer to that question? I would expect him to say, place your trust in me. Because if you ask me, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? That's probably the answer you're going to hear. I'm probably going to tell you, put your trust in Christ. But Jesus, he rarely does what we expect him to do. And in this case, he did not give the answer that we would expect. He gave an answer that makes us scratch our head. He said, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. <clears throat> he named five of the Ten Commandments. And I believe in Matthew, he also said, love your neighbor as yourself. But we know there are many more commandments than that. He lists five of the ten, but in addition to the ten, there are another 610 in the Old Testament. 610 commandments in the law. 
But if Jesus just gave you this five and just said, if you want to inherit eternal life, this is what you have to do, how would you respond? I've been on this planet long enough to know how most of us would respond, I think. It's human nature to say, I can sure try. Or to say, I do those most of the time. Or to think, well, I do that better than most of the other people I know. So that counts, right? But Jesus didn't say try. He didn't say do it most of the time. He didn't even say do these things starting now. But the rich young ruler, he was like so many of us. He thought, well, there's got to be a way for me to earn it. So I'm just going to take Jesus to mean Try hard. That's good enough. What does he say? Verse 21. He said, all these I have kept from my youth. Have you? Now, some of them we do a pretty good job at, right? I'm, I'm 100% at not murdering. I got a perfect record on that one. But if you look at some of the others, I hope you won't interview me too close. And please don't ask my friends and family. He does say things like, don't bear false witness. Now, we don't bear false witness. But have we ever? He does say, honor your father and mother. We sure want credit for trying when it comes to that, right? We want to beg a little bit of lenience in light of the crazy father and mother that we've been given, right? But Jesus says, honor your father and mother. And this rich young ruler, blinded, I guess, to his own sin, he says, I've done these since I was young. I think we could be confident that Jesus sees through him. Jesus tells him this, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. What is that one thing he still lacks? He tells him to go and do a few things. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, if I told you, if you sell everything you have, and give to the poor, I will give you $1 billion. You would just laugh. (laughs) That guy doesn't have a billion dollars. And if he did, he's not going to give it to me. And you would be wise. Because I don't have a billion dollars, and if I did, I wouldn't give it to you. But if you believed me, let's turn it around. If you tell me, because I know you've got a billion dollars. If you tell me, go sell everything you have, give it away, and I'll give you a billion dollars. If I believed you, that's easy. Honestly, I would just have one question. I would just ask, does the dog count as a possession? (laughs) Truthfully, I've been either way. But a billion dollars, sorry, I, I... 
I alienated a few of you with that one. You wouldn't sell your dog for a billion dollars. I would make sure it went to a good home. I would go visit it. But if I believe you, that's easy. The, the dilemma that the rich young ruler faced, it should have been easy. He said he wanted eternal life. He should expect something very difficult, right? That's the way the world works. People expect to get some great treasure like eternal life. You should have to plow a long row. You should have to walk a long way. You should have to climb a high mountain. But Jesus gives him a task that he can complete in literally 24 hours. If he's motivated, he could sell it all by tomorrow and have eternal life. But he wouldn't do it. He lacked one thing. And what would I say he lacked? The one thing that it takes to inherit eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ. Because he had no faith, he could not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says he became sad. Verse 23, when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If only the rich young ruler had come to Jesus the way the children came to him just a few verses before. I mean, throughout the book of Luke, Jesus is passing out forgiveness to everyone who has faith. He's saying things like, your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Think about what he said to the man who died next to him on the cross. Do you remember that man? He, he was crucified between thieves. And one of those thieves was mocking him. The other thief said, this man, he doesn't deserve this. We're getting what we deserve. Be quiet. And then he looks to Jesus and he says this thing. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. At first glance, you might think he's asking the same question that the rich young ruler asked. But he's not. The rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But the man next to Jesus on the cross, he didn't come like a grown-up. He came like a child. He didn't come like a businessman. He came to Jesus like a beggar. And he just pleaded, remember me. And how did Jesus respond? He said, well, I have a list of five commandments that you have to obey. How have you done with these five commandments? No, that's not how he responded. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus' coming is good news, but it is not good news for the proud. Not for those who don't realize their own need and their own weakness. But for those who see how desperately they need God's mercy, Jesus' coming is the best news we've ever heard. There's one more reason from Luke chapter 1. One more reason why Jesus' coming is especially good news for the humble. And it's this. The humble remember God's promises. 
The humble remember God's promises. Listen to what Mary says as she completes her song. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remembers the promises that God made to Abraham and to his offspring. And she places her hope in those promises. She does not place her hope in military power. She does not place her hope in political wins. She does not place her hope in her family's wealth. She does not place her hope in the stability of her relationships. She places her hope in God's promises. And that is a good place to place your hope. If we're talking about humility, we should mention Moses. Because the Bible says in Numbers 12.3 that Moses was the most humble or meek man on the face of the earth. And it's a bit of a head-scratcher when you think about the fact that Moses was the one that wrote that down. But hey, if God tells you to write it, you write it. You say, what kind of what kind of humility or meekness did Moses show? You know, nobody, nobody was better than Moses at reminding God of the promises that he had made. And the promises that Mary remembered, the promises to Abraham and his offspring, are the same promises that Moses reminds God of at a very crucial time in the Exodus. You remember after the people got the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, they almost immediately, after swearing, yes, we will obey everything written in the law, they had a public ceremony where they swore, we'll obey everything. And God said, this will be your righteousness. If you do all these things, then you will be my people and I will be your God. They said, yes, we agree. We swear to it. And immediately they built an idol and started worshiping it and threw a party. Right out the gate, they're tripping face first in the dirt. And God's anger is kindled against them. And Moses, in Exodus chapter 32, he reminds God of his promises. Here's the, the most humble man on the face of the earth. I told you, sometimes humility goes hand in hand with boldness. Here it is in Numbers, or sorry, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, you've never wanted or been given the opportunity to scrap everybody and just say, all right, let's start over with just me. But Moses had that opportunity. In fact, God was telling him, let me alone. We're starting over with just you. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and he said, Oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, 
Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. This humble man is bold enough to remind God of what God promised to his people. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Praise God, the Lord relented. Moses reminded him, you made a promise to Abraham and to his offspring. Did you know those promises are for you? If you are humble enough to recognize your need for God's mercy, to see your own weakness, and to remember God's promises, they can be for you too. Jesus' birth is good news. It's not good news for the proud. It's not good news for those who trust in their own goodness. It's not good news for those who trust in their own strength, but for the humble, for the broken, for the sinners, for the hungry, even for the hopeless. It's good news. There is hope. God has looked on your humble estate. He sees that you need his mercy. He sees your weakness and he remembers his promises. Those promises are for you when you come to him with humble faith. So that, that is the invitation to each of us today. Have you received the good news of Christ with humble faith? Or is your pride pushing him back? If you realize that you need his mercy, may I recommend you don't take the route of the rich young ruler. May I recommend you take the route of the thief who died next to Jesus on the cross and just call out to him for mercy. Every single one of us who is a Christian has done just that. Asked God for mercy. And until you realize you need it, it's not for you. Only when you realize your need do you come to Christ and ask for his mercy. And the Bible promises everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that is your invitation today, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And you'll have an opportunity to respond at the end of this service. If you go to the Next Steps Corner, that is where you can talk with a pastor and say, I'm ready to begin following Christ. I'm here to ask for God's mercy. Every single one of us who is a Christian, has experienced just that, calling out to Jesus, asking for his mercy because of what he did when he took our punishment on the cross. But this is also an invitation to those of us who are believers, who have been for a long time. You know, it's easy to get caught up, even, even as a follower of Christ, it's easy to get caught up in our own righteousness. And to begin to think that we've made something of ourselves. You say, well, I'm proud of who I've become. I remember who I used to be. I'm grateful too. But it's only by God's mercy that any of us stand. And the Bible warns us, take heed lest you fall. So if you 
need this Christmas season to remember your humble estate? May I push you to the Word of God. The Bible has a way of humbling us, doesn't it? Here's one that humbles me. If I ever get to thinking I'm something, I need to remember what Jesus taught us to pray. Do you remember what he taught us to pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Those who sin against us. Now you might say, well, surely he doesn't mean if we don't forgive others, then he won't forgive us, right? Like it's hard to forgive others sometimes. Well, he clarifies it immediately after that prayer. He says, if you do not forgive those who trespass against you, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Every time I come across that verse, I remember how desperately I need God's mercy. Because I know, I know me, and some of you, I know you. And I know how hard it is for us to forgive those that wrong us. It's easy with a few of them. The ones we like, we forgive them of a lot. But mm, those ones that we don't get along with, it's hard to forgive them. Those ones that we see on TV, oh man, it's hard to forgive them. But if we don't love our enemies, we're not followers of Christ. So when I hear that, when I hear that God will not forgive me if I don't forgive others, what does that cause me to do? Fall on my face and remember how desperately I need God's mercy. Christian, follower of Christ, do you need to remember this Christmas season how desperately you need his mercy? Jesus coming is good news for you if you remember your humble estate and how desperately you need him. I hope that the Lord has spoken to your heart today. I hope that you'll respond with faith, not with pride, but with humble faith in Jesus Christ because he is our savior. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, it's a great privilege to be with your family today to read your word and to take hope from what you have written for us. I pray that each one of us will see clearly the humble state that we're in and how needy we are, that we will cast ourselves at your feet and ask for your mercy because your mercy is our only hope. Thank you, Father, for the birth of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. It is our hope. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you.